It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday january 9th 2014 thank you for joining us tonight my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight good to be with you and good to be with our listeners as well we'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567 questions at college View com and in the chat room to the right of your video window if you're watching us on the program live tonight and we got jeff behind the board jeff is here uh, and jeff uh, is ready to he's ready to talk tonight yeah and he's in the chat room several other people in the chat room already so join in we we definitely want your feedback on our subject tonight all right we got a part three of a three-part lesson and part three and only part three so, uh, we, but yeah, we're I don't, gonna, have we ever had a part three before? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I know we, don't, we don't want to get too we're tedious. We're not having a part four, though, in other words. No, uh, Lord willing, no. But we don't want to get too tedious about this. But we found, let's, to those of you who might not have been with us in, uh, in our previous discussions, we came across a blog on the Internet at faithfacts.org. Uh, the guy who does not identify himself gives lots of information, uh, at least his opinions on lots of different religious groups there, and and uh, if you go to faithfacts.org, and on the uh, in his menu, there's world religions and theology. If you click on that, one of the tabs there has to do with uh, the Church of Christ. Okay. And in that, and it's rather lengthy, we picked out one part of it in which he calls a doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ. And so he he described what he thinks we believe, and he was really wrong in almost all counts. Okay. And so we just thought it would be a worthy thing to discuss And it's been an that. interesting topic for two weeks. Yeah, and, and we, he misunderstands us. or I don't think he purposefully misrepresents us, but I think he has a deep uh, misunderstanding of what we believe the Bible teaches. Now, when I say what, when, what we believe the Bible teaches, I want to repeat again. We've repeated it in the previous two weeks, uh, a couple times each week at least. Jacob, you and I are not speaking for anybody other than ourselves. No, you got chided for that a little bit. Yeah, I got an email from Bill in Texas, who's not a big fan of our program anyway, but he said, uh, you want to be careful and not think that you are a spokesman for the Lord's church, what the Lord's church thinks about this or that. The church is supposed to be the pillar and ground of the truth. You want to stay away from any creedal statements about what the church of Christ believes. We can only say the scriptures say this or that. You are not infallible. He says, look at your stand on divorce and marriage. That's why he doesn't like us too well, because we disagree with him on divorce and remarriage. Uh, he claims there is no exception and there's no uh, authorization for any divorce and remarriage under any clause. And we've we've talked about that in the past, and he continues to occasionally uh, you know, uh, Interject. snipe at us because yeah. uh, he yeah. disagrees with us on that. But uh, he says, uh, are there other topics, practices, traditional teachings you are an heir on? None? I don't think so. Well, I, I think... Well, uh, and we may be in error. We're I think pers- Bill in Texas has misunderstood that we are not the ones who are making this doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ. No. That's not our doctrinal summary. Right. That's what somebody who's not even a member of the Church of Christ has written. We think he's badly mistaken on lots of points, and we're just trying to, to clarify that. Of what so, we believe. Uh, and again, we're only speaking for ourselves, not... Well, we're not taking. Uh, we're not. We're not trying to establish ourselves as the clearinghouse for all doctrinal matters, Church of Christ. No. Uh, and and so we've tried to make that clear. But this this topic, a doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ, that's not ours. No. That's, that's on this website, faithfacts.org, and we think it's wrong, and we're trying to explain why. And if you want to comment on that tonight, maybe you disagree with us, and maybe you're a member of the Church of Christ and you disagree with us. We'd like to hear from you. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. You agree with us? Uh, we'd like to hear from you as well. Let's use the chat room tonight to talk with us on the program. Now you've focused on several statements tonight that are regarding uh, what he thinks are our understanding is our understanding of God's grace. Yeah. In the past two weeks, we've talked about things like 
baptism and worship and so forth. But we, now this part of his essay, we have uh, come to the end, and he discusses what he thinks are our peculiar views of grace, God's grace. Okay. And so what we did this week to our update list is we sent out the, the direct quotes of, the sec, of that section of his essay. The only thing we added were numbers to the paragraphs for sake of reference. And so we'll be going through this. Okay. Uh, and, and we always remind people that, that if you don't get our updates, you ought to, and send us an email That's right. to questions you at collegeu.com. Question, right. Questions at collegeu.com. Add me to the list. Or go on our website and under the Church of Christ, College U Church of Christ tab, sign up resources. You can send us a uh, there's a there's a submit form there, and you can you can submit your request to be added to. You our can get two email. emails a week. It's not going to be a lot of junk. It's going to be two a week. You can hit the delete button if you don't want, but you probably won't because you'll want to see. Well, one of your one of your emails will be our Thursday update as to what we're discussing on the virtual Bible study that night. Yeah, and the other will be. Uh, our weekly church bulletin in an electronic format. And you're just very timely on those. Tuesday for the bulletin, Thursday around lunchtime for the update of the program topic. So you ought to, you ought to sign up if you're not on that list already. All right. So we're not going to read all of this. We're just going to start in. Now, this is the section of the man's essay in which he tries to represent what he thinks we believe about grace. So let me read the first paragraph, Jacob, and then we'll stop and comment. He says, according to historian Richard Hughes, grace is understood by the Church of Christ as something that God is obligated to give the believer who is obedient, mm -hmm. though they would not phrase it this way. They will say that we are saved by grace, but it's what comes after the but that's important. What comes after the but is not consistent among them. Here are some answers they may give. A, God's grace provides a way to salvation, but it's up to us to save ourselves. B, we are saved by grace up to the time of baptism, and then it's up to us to remain uh, to maintain our salvation by obedience. C, our response to God's grace is essential to receive the free gift of salvation, but that response involves, quote, works of obedience and not, quote, works of merit. They do not see grace as the regeneration of our dead spirits as a work of God apart from anything we do or can do. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's start in on that. Yeah, right. uh, uh, it starts out by saying, according to historian Richard Hughes, and then he goes on how grace is understood by the Church of Christ. Well, I'm not, I don't know Richard Hughes. Uh, I did a little research and found out that he's been a professor at Abilene Christian College and also at Pepperdine at a University in California. Um, both of those are really liberal institutions they they have been historically associated with some elements of the church of christ but they're they're very liberal in their interpretation of scriptures and we would we wouldn't have much in common with them actually if any <laughs> but the fact of the matter is i mean I, we said we don't speak for the church of christ this richard hughes has has no basis to speak for the church of christ no, either he's, he's, he's not a, he's not a spokesman okay. and he's, uh uh one of the unique things which this uh this man who wrote the blog, one of the unique things that he apparently does not understand is the independent and autonomous nature of local congregations that, uh, that identify themselves as churches of Christ. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, so nobody's speaking for us. This Richard Hughes doesn't speak for us. But he says, according to this historian Richard Hughes, grace is understood by the Church of Christ as something that God is obligated to give the believer who is obedient. I want to tell you, that's that's a... A self-contradictory yeah, statement. Right. It's, right. it's, it's, it, you, grace is, by definition, something that you do not deserve. Right. It's not earned or merited. Right. And therefore, God is in no way obligated to give us his grace. Yeah. It wouldn't be grace if he was yeah. obligated. I mean, yeah. those... That, if this guy is a... If this Richard Hughes, who he purports to be quoting here, is a, is he's a professor of Christian history at Pepperdine University currently... If he doesn't understand any better than that, he doesn't need to be teaching anybody anything. All right. I mean, that's, that, that's regardless of what your position on grace might be, that's, a, that's a, 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 just a senseless statement. Grace is something God is obligated to give. Yeah. If he's obligated, it's not grace. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 2 would clear that up fairly uh, easily there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's ironic that he would say that. Um, 
he goes on to say, they will say that we are saved by grace, but, and it's what comes after the but that's important. Then he says, what comes after the but, we're saved by grace, but, but he says, there, it's not consistent among members of the Church of Christ. Well, he just said, he just acted as though we consistently have this okay. view. Now he says there's no consistent view on grace. Okay. Um, he, he says, here are some of the answers that might be given. God's grace is a way to salvation, but it's up to us to save ourselves. What do you think about that statement, Jay? Well, I would look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where we read that our salvation is uh, by grace. You're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So that directly contradicts what uh, he states here, where grace provides a way to salvation, but it's up to us to save ourselves. No, it is not up to us to save ourselves. Well, We're saved by grace by through faith, not of ourselves, but uh, it is the gift of God. Well, see, that's that's the, the problem with uh, there's some semantical differences sure, absolutely. here, absolutely, and it depends on what he means by what he says. That's right, because we're also told uh, to save ourselves. Yeah, and and uh, that's the verse I was going to. Acts right. two verse forty says, with many other words, did Peter testify and exhort, saying, "Save yourselves from this untoward generation." Yes. So, what do you mean by save yourself? Yeah. We know that we can't save ourselves, as Ephesians two verses eight and nine says. Uh, it, we are depending upon the grace of God, yeah. but there is a sense in which we have to respond to God's gift in order to receive but it. But in the context that uh, this uh, person is uh, directed the discussion, I believe that Ephesians chapter 2 may answer his question. I think he's uh, focusing on uh, the idea of merits or of uh, there's something in yourself that you can do in order to earn God's salvation. And uh, and I think that's clearly uh, denied there in Ephesians. Yeah, we definitely do not believe that we have the capacity to save ourselves in any sense. Yes. Um, and so uh, I think that first representation is wrong. We're going to find out though in our discussion. I, there are there are two sides to this discussion, and uh, and we've got to take. You, you can look at it in two different ways. On this idea of grace. Yeah. Uh, he, he says another mistaken view they have is we're saved by grace up to the time of baptism. Then it's up to us to maintain our salvation by obedience. All right. Now, I've never heard anybody explain grace in that fashion at all, that grace pertains up to the time we're baptized. In other words, I take it he means that a plan has been put in place, and it culminates with our forgiveness. We're forgiven of past sins when we're baptized into Christ. Yep. But that's the extent of grace. Then from then on, you you you're gonna to have to to continue perfectly. Right. Um, well, I would uh, I would say it. Second Peter chapter three eighteen contradicts that. Where written to Christians, uh, Peter says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So is grace important after you're baptized? Absolutely. Yeah, I w- I just wrote down and I didn't even make a thorough list, but at the start of Romans, Romans one seven, First Corinthians one three, Galatians one verse three. Paul prayed that God's grace would be bestowed upon the people he was writing to. He was writing to Christians in every instance, and he prayed that God's grace would would be manifested toward them. So, obviously, grace continues after we're baptized. Yes. The fact of the matter is that uh, we sin after we've been baptized, and we're depending upon God to forgive us of our sins even after we've been baptized uh, and, and that's going to take a, an act of grace on his part. We don't deserve it, but he makes it possible. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, when Simon the sorcerer sinned, after having been baptized, uh, he said, Peter told him, Repent, and therefore, of this thy weakness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. And so, you know, we need forgiveness even after we have become Christians. How, how is that possible? Through God's grace. All right. Uh, John in the chat room says, I agree God is not obligated to grant his grace. However, is not God, in a way, obligated to give his grace in that he promised us his grace if we believe and obey? We do not earn it, but he has promised it. Just a thought. And so John presents there. Uh, we're going to see this, uh, this idea of, of, of God's grace, how uh, there are different uh, facets to it, maybe, uh, how, uh, and how you could look at it. Uh, Jim says, I like what Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2, 11 through 15, grace has appeared by Jesus Christ. So, uh, And he goes on and references John 1, verse 17, grace and truth came by Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so those are good good points. Patrick in the chat room says, almost everyone who believes in salvation by faith alone misrepresents the beliefs and teachings of those who acknowledge the role of works and obedience in salvation. Yeah, and I think Patrick's exactly right. Uh, uh, when we say that there are things to do, you could do them 
you know, nonstop for the rest of your life and never earn your salvation. Right. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're unnecessary. They, they are conditions to receive the gift. All right. Aaron in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is uh, sending a response. And he also is in the chat room as well. Oh, is he? He says grace is simply a favorable disposition, an attitude of good favor. I don't know anybody who believes that there's no more role for God's grace after baptism. We all depend on God's good favor. I think that's exactly right. Here's what his email says. It's hard for me to think of a good, concise way to explain this concept without the use of examples. The two examples I pick are Naaman, 2 Kings chapter 5, and the man born blind, John verse 9. Elisha told Naaman to go wash in the Jordan River to be cleansed of leprosy. He washed and he was cleansed. Nobody is confused about whether Naaman healed himself or earned his healing. Everybody, including Naaman, knew that he was healed because God extended grace to him in this matter and that God did not extend the benefits of that grace until Naaman had demonstrated faith by obeying. When the blind man was told to go wash in the pool of Siloam, he went and washed and came back seeing. Nobody suspected that the man had healed his own blindness. You and I could go wash in the pool of Siloam all day long, and our vision wouldn't be any better for it because that's not what we've been told to do, and that work doesn't earn vision improvement. Mm. The blind man himself clearly gave Jesus all the credit. His healing was an act of grace, but he wasn't healed until he demonstrated his faith. He believed when he set out for the pool, but he wasn't healed until he had washed in the pool. If we can't understand how God established conditions in these cases without eliminating the need for grace, then we can understand how our own obedience can be a condition for forgiveness without taking anything away from the role of grace. The conditions are the way God uses to choose those who will receive the benefits of his grace. Thank you, Aaron. And I think, I mean, as always, Aaron states it very well. I think that's exactly right. I've used the example lots of times, Jacob, about a gift. If I offered you a gift, I think I even talked about this last week. If I offered you a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. uh, if you'll come to my house at ten o'clock tomorrow morning, I'll give you a hundred dollars. Right. All right. So, so you come to my house at ten o'clock tomorrow morning and you receive the hundred dollars. Is it any less a gift because you came there to get it? No, it's still a gift. You didn't earn it. The, 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 the fact that you came to my house in no way earns $100, right. but you had to meet that condition in order to receive that gift. And right. so that's all we're saying. We're not saying that, that the things we do negate the fact that salvation is still by God's grace. All right. Now, uh, he may get close to that in his, his point C here. of his, uh, Yeah, his I, I actually think this is not real way far off. Maybe if it could be could be polished up a little bit or tweaked, but he says, here's another view that some members of the Church of Christ have. They say, our response to God's grace is essential to receive the free gift of salvation, but that response involves works of obedience and not works of merit. They do not see as the regeneration of our dead spirit, they do not see grace as the regeneration of our dead spirits as a work of God apart from anything we do or can do. Now, that I would disagree with. Uh, Well, the idea, the impression is that it's, it's some kind of a moving on you, and that God saves you apart from any. Uh, you you can't. The idea is you can't do anything towards God. You can't make yeah. any move towards. Well, but God. he says we do not see grace. In other words, he suggests that some people think okay. that grace is the regeneration sorry, of yes, our dead yes, spirits. Yes. At just a yeah. work God uh, does. Uh, okay. And, and and we, we, okay. We do. We yeah. That that's a, that's a true statement. Uh, and I disagree with I disagree yeah, with he that says concept. That, yes. that, yeah. So he says they do not see grace yes. as the regeneration of our dead spirits, a work of God apart from anything yes. we do. Right. I agree. We don't right. see it that way. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's uh, lots of passages to show us that uh, that God requires us to respond to Him. Matthew chapter seven verse twenty three. Jesus said He wanted to save Israel, but they would not. They decided that they wouldn't. Uh, Paul told the, Gen- uh, the Jews that uh, that they had put salvation off. They, they had, had rejected God's salvation, so they were going to turn to the Gentiles. Over and over again, we can see that God's grace can't be refused. That's right. I want to go back to that text that you started out with, Jacob, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now, right. do we believe that, that grace is essential for salvation? Yes. Well, if we believe the Bible, we do, because there it says, by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's interesting that in the context of Ephesians 2, he's going to go on and talk about the, the, some of the works of the Old Testament law of Moses, like circumcision. Yeah. 
And so I think probably contextually he has the works he has in mind are some of those obligations of the Old Testament law of Moses, at least in part. But verse 9 really clarifies there's no works the, the kind of by which we could boast, not of works lest any man should boast. We're not saved by any works of the kind we could boast about. Right. In other words, man, I was baptized. Look at me. I was baptized. I ought to be saved because I was baptized. No, there's no there's no such works of merit by which we could boast, by which we are saved. Yeah. But that does not eliminate the works of obedience, the necessary conditions to receive God's gift. You know what? We are having so much fun, I forgot that it was time for a break. Yeah, let's take let's it. Let's take it, and we'll get our thoughts together. We'll get your thoughts on the other side as we continue to look at the, what this guy says about what we think about God's grace. Is it accurate? Let us know uh, your thoughts on God's grace as we go to the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're trying to be like a church you read about in the Bible, and we're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return for the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. If you think in terms of a year, plant a seed. If in terms of 10 years, plant trees. If in terms of 100 years, teach the people. It is wisest and best to fix your attention on the beautiful and the good and dwell not at all on the evil and the faults. If you want to know what a man's like, take a good look at how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. It is our choices that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. Anyone who thinks sitting in church can make you a Christian must also think that sitting in a garage can make you a car. Treat each day as your last. One day you will be right. Knowing what to do is very different than actually doing it. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, welcoming you back, and we're talking about what one guy has listed as a doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ. Uh, this is the third week we've been doing this. He's focusing on grace at the end of his article, and we're looking at uh, what he has said and comparing it with what uh, we believe and what the Scriptures we believe teach. We'll look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Wait, Jeff had a thought just yeah, behind the board. Jeff had a, a, something to throw in here. Oh, Jeff. I would say another good point to make would be in Acts 15. Uh, we see there about the Council of Jerusalem. They were talking about circumcision, that uh, circumcision that comes between the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, and then when we get to verse 11, it says, But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as, the, as they also are. So there's some inspired words there. Yes. Show us that we're saved by grace. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. All right. All right. Just a lot of comments going on, good comments in the chat room. Most people agree with this uh, point C here, that that our response to God's grace is essential to receive the free gift of salvation, but that response involves works of obedience and not works of merit. Most people uh, are saying that that looks close to being what uh, they would say themselves. Yeah. Um, Anthony mentions in the chat room, in as much as God promised his blessings to those who are obedient he is obligated but i wouldn't use that word i think so in other words god god made promises to those who would who who would submit to his will okay and in that sense there's he would be obligated because god can't lie he made a promise and he can't he, he can't break his promise but I, I, of course and i agree with anthony on that but of course this guy i don't think that's the way he's wording that what he means by an obligation all right, uh, Patrick in the chat room says, Most salvation by faith alone believers see, a right, see righteousness as a mere legal declaration of righteousness. He goes on and says, But this view is deficient. God's Grace is God's own life in a person which actually makes a person righteous. Not sure I understand the last sentence there. Yeah, but, uh, Patrick, you might, you, might, you might give us a little more thought along that line. I'm not right, sure I completely okay. understand that either. Okay. Uh, John in the chat, or Aaron says, I'm not sure. Okay, he goes on, um, says he, he would agree with uh, point C there. Um, and some chatter there back and forth. Yeah, and he, he agrees with the first part of that C statement as well. All right. Uh, appreciate all the good comments in the chat uh, room. All right, we're going to move on. Let's uh, move on. There's a, lot, there's a lot to talk about here, but we'll move on to the second paragraph of this section of the essay. 
He says, they also believe that grace is what God bestows to one who has done everything he can to be obedient. Again, while they may not state it in these exact terms, we think that it is a necessary inference from their theology. Thus, grace is the small remaining step that remains toward salvation after one is correctly obedient. God fills the gap with his grace. Interestingly, this is the same view of grace held by Mormons and Jehovah's this Witnesses. This is that, that, a totally uh, worthless point. What does it matter? You know, it's like they believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Interestingly, this is the same view that is held by the Jehovah's Witnesses. It must be wrong. <laughs> and that is the same thing the Catholics believe. It's the same thing the Presbyterians believe. You know, <laughs> they, they believe that sin is bad. Interestingly enough. Muslims do the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a that that's that's, that's <laughs> oh well. That doesn't prove anything. Yeah, but yeah. I think this is really a mistaken idea. You know, uh, uh, the idea that we do everything we can, and then God fills the fills the gap between what we were able to do on our own and what was necessary to get to the mark of salvation. That's really an inaccurate picture, a completely inaccurate picture. We wouldn't even know what to begin to do. Yeah if it were not for the fact that God had revealed to us uh, a plan, a means by which we could be saved. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and I think Jim in the chat room had mentioned this verse earlier, says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should deliver soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So, you know, God's grace has appeared in making a way for us. He's given us a plan. He's provided He's provided not only the plan for our salvation, but he's empowered it with the, with the atoning blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so to say, you know, okay, here we are. We just, we're just working along here just, like, just as feverishly and as hard as we possibly can, but we can only get up so high. You know, we're, we're here. We need to be here. So when we get here, then God takes us the rest of the way. That's not a biblical concept of grace that I'm aware of at all. Oh, right. All right. Absolutely. Anthony says uh, first. Uh, last thing's first. Not sure why it's interesting that supposedly we have a belief the same as Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. Seems to me like uh, a belittling statement. Anyway, I don't know, even know what, that I understand what he's saying here. I've never heard of this kind of teaching. Thank you, Anthony. All right. And Aaron says, see the example. He 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 had already discussed the examples of Naaman and and uh, the blind man in John nine. He says. Uh, grace is is not a small bridge to make up for what lacks. Grace was the offer to pay for my sin with the blood of the Son of God, and that is no small thing. My own works do not get me 90% forgiven or 50% forgiven or even 10% forgiven. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to them that obey him, Hebrews 5, verse 9. Obedience is what he requires in order to forgive 100% of my sin by grace. I like what Aaron. Well said, Aaron. You know, you know. I think that's exactly right. So I remember years ago, uh, a preacher friend said, "When you when you go before the Lord in final judgment, and He says, why should I let you come into heaven?' You know, just sort of representing a, hypoth- okay. a, a hypothetical case of right. judgment. You know, we don't know exactly how this is going to happen. But he says, suppose it was like this. You come before the, before God in judgment, and he says, why should I let you come in? And he, so the first the first thing that races through your mind is, well, I went to church every Sunday. Yeah. Uh, uh, I read my Bible every day. Uh, I tried to talk to people about the Lord. Uh, uh, I was baptized. You yeah. know, and you start thinking. Oh, trying you said to, it. You, you said it with the emphasis on the last yeah. syllable. Oh, did I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, you try to to list your 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 deeds. Yeah. Of course, it's all wrong. Right. The right answer, he went on to say, the right answer is you point to Jesus on His right hand and you say, you should let me in because of Him. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason why we. I mean, you you no matter what you did or how long a list of things you could compile of activities that you had accomplished, none of them would be deserving. Well, and and I, I like the way Aaron said, you know, you can't get you can't get 90% there or 50% there or 10% there. You need 100% of God's grace to forgive you. Uh, and so I, that, that's just... And that, I don't think we'll have the audacity to mention anything that we've done. Then, I uh, think that's the, right. And the awesomeness of that, uh, that site. I think that's exactly right. All right. All right. So I, I think... Uh, uh, I think he's way off on that. Okay. Uh, Patrick in the chat room says, although whether or not Martin Luther actually wrote these words is disputed, it is generally recognized as an accurate description of his theology. 
That is, that a person who is saved by grace is a dunghill covered with snow. Uh, that is, remains a sinner inwardly, but is simply judged righteous. As opposed to this, God's grace genuinely cleanses a person's soul of sin, enables him to live in obedience to God, and allows him to grow in holiness by con- a continuing process of becoming more like Jesus. Okay. Right. Good promise. Uh, I, I, I do believe that God's grace is necessary for us continually to keep you know, we 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 remain in need of God's grace even after we've become Christians. Um, enables him to live in obedience to God. Now, well, the, uh, the, the the I might have a question, and Patrick and I might have to talk about that a little bit more. In other words, do I need God? Is it impossible for me, uh, for instance, it is God's will that I don't lie, don't you know, that I tell the truth? Do I need an act of God's grace? in order to be able to not tell lies? Or am I, in other words, God's revealed that that is his will for me. Am I able to exercise my will to obey that aspect of God's I was, desire for me? I was thinking along the lines of Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, uh, that... God's grace is what allows me to live the way that I should because he's told me how I should live through his grace. There is a concept out there in the religious world. Uh, in fact, some of the denominational groups that identify themselves as holiness, you know, you see oh, right, different right, people right, who right, are holy. You hear them talk about a second work of grace, yeah. that the first work of God's grace forgives you of past sins. Yeah. Then a second working of God's grace at some subsequent time Makes it impossible for you to sin. I, yeah, and and I don't I, I don't believe that's biblical. I don't I wouldn't know where to go in the scriptures to defend that point of view. And I and right. and so I, I'm not sure that's what Patrick had in mind there. Uh, uh, anyway, all right. Uh, Jim says uh, right uh, when uh, he agrees with you. When we look at Titus two twelve again, it says that God that that grace is teaching us. It is a continuing process. It teaches us how to live God, how to live godly and deny worldly lust. Uh, it is something that is ongoing. All right, thank you, Jim, for that. Uh, Jeff, uh, you're up, um, and we got a break after this, Jeff. So you got you got the last word. So, uh, in Luke 17 verse 10, I like what it says there about. So you too, when you do all these things which are commanded you, say we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Okay, right. So you can't. That good. That's a good verse, Jeff. We can't earn it, can we? We we right. just we can't say. We will never be able to go before God and say, you owe me, and you better pay up. Well, and I told you Jeff was going to have the last word, but Patrick clarifies. He, he wishes that it was the way you said about the holiness of people where God takes away our ability to sin. But he says he wishes it was that way, yeah. but God does not take away free will. A safe person can still sin. Great yeah, and John uh, says, consider Colossians 3 as a great example of a Christian's responsibility to put off all sinful acts. Paul tells them they are to put away these things in right. Colossians 3. So, Jeff, you had the third to last word. Get <laughs> yeah. some more in. Now, let's take a break and get this six bullet point. When we get back, we want your thoughts, and you can have a word here. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. At your weakest moment, that's when Satan will tempt you to sin. Our adversary is no fool. He's not going to waste time and effort by working against your strengths. He will attack when you are the weakest and where you are the most vulnerable. Here's an example. Someone has had harsh words to say about you. They have assumed the worst, impugned your motives, jumped to false conclusions, spread rumor and innuendo about you. How will you react? You are angry, hurt, insulted, disgusted. The strong temptation is to strike back, to get even, to put this person in his place. But you must not submit to the temptation. God's word says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. It's hard to follow this instruction at the moment because you're weak and vulnerable. But this course of action is best. The Lord says so, and our own experience bears it out. During such times of weakness and vulnerability, we should pray as David did, quote, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. We've been warned that Satan has, quote, many devices, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. 
Chief among these is his ability to detect our weaknesses and attack us there. Please realize that you must work hardest during your weakest moments because that's when Satan is at work against you. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program tonight, we remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. Find out more about us by visiting our new and improved website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. Better yet, come and visit with us if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area. We would welcome you at any of our services. Find out more about our meeting times and location at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Appreciate you for putting those bullet points together there, Dad. We're going to have, are you, you told me last week we may have a bullet point, uh, Crisis on our hands. Yeah, we're we're running we're running out of bullet points. We've well, reached peak bullet points and yeah, we, uh, we're full bullet point saturation. Oh, and we're out of we're well, you're running low. Yeah, okay. so we we may do something else here coming right. up. So you need more bullets. I'm running out of bullets. Running out of bullets. All right. All right. We we've got to move quickly, Jacob. We won't get done. We intend to finish this up tonight. I've got an email from Randy in Swartz Creek, Michigan. He he mentioned several things, but. He says, this man's essay wrote about works of obedience, and I have a question for him. Would you not want a living faith more than a dead faith? I have the answer to that question. Here's what James had to say about living faith and works, and he goes on then and quotes from James uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. won't take time to read all that, but verse 24, of course, famously says, uh, faith, we were justified by works, not by faith alone. Thanks, Randy. We appreciate that. Uh, all right. The, join in the discussion. Thank you, Randy, for listening and for participating. Uh, in the, the chat room tonight, we want to hear from you on the phone. The phone is wide open now. We want to hear from you. All right. Number three, I think we're ready for. All right. So let's go on quickly. Uh, he says, when asked how they know that they're saved, they will probably say something like, I have been obedient or I have been pleasing to God. Um, now, that's interesting because I think, uh, you know, I, I, I now the second one, I would never answer. I have been pleasing to God. Okay. I mean, uh, I, I, I feel like, you know, uh, we should understand ourselves as as unworthy, undeserving as what sinners Jeff referred us to earlier. Yeah. Uh, unprofitable servants. Uh, and I think it's interesting that he says this because First uh, John chapter two basically tells us this is how we know that we're in a right relationship with God. First John chapter two verse three. Uh, uh, let's see. Let me get to First John instead of Second John here. First uh, John chapter two verse three says that, um, uh, and hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word. In him verily is the love of God perfected, and hereby know we that we are in him. Yeah. I don't know if it gets any clearer than that. Yeah, I had that same verse in my notes, Jacob. I think that's the right answer to the question. You know, how, do, how do you know, if you, if you ask someone, how do you know they are saved? I would say the only way I can know whether I'm saved or not is to compare myself to his word. Yeah. Because I know Jesus said, John 12, 40, 48, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So the only way I could know if I have any hope of salvation is to compare myself to what's revealed. Yep. Now, it's interesting. If we ask this gentleman or if we ask other people who believe in faith-only salvation, how do you know that you're saved? Their response would be, I asked Jesus into my heart. Or I uh, accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Or I repented and confessed my belief in Christ. Well, there's action on that individual's part as well. Or uh, if they said, I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Yeah. Then, then they, there's, they, there's something they have done. They, well, no, there's a response. Uh, uh, the only person who couldn't say, I don't think I had to do anything, would be a universalist. Right. You know, We've talked to them before on the right. virtual Bible study. But anybody else who believes that you have to do to have faith or to accept Jesus as your Savior. In other words, they're expressing the fact that they met certain right. conditions. The only person, if, if we understand grace the way that this individual seems to uh, believe it to be, the only person who would have been saved by God's grace would be the person when you ask them, how do you know that you're saved? They'd say, 
what's what's salvation? Who's Jesus? Who's God? That would be the only person to be qualified to be saved by grace in his estimation, someone who had no response uh, at all towards God. I think you're right. All right. Aaron says, uh, if you ask the Apostle John, how can we know that we know God? Then John gives the answer. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. First John 2, verse 3. But, John, how do we know that we are in God? Verse 5, whoso keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected by him, in him, rather. And by this, we know we are in him. Anybody who answers this question without referring to obedience isn't giving a full answer. All right. That's right. And Anthony says I would answer with a question, which is better, to know I am saved due to some subjective fleeting emotion that I feel, or to know that I'm saved because I can look at a black and white document, the Bible, and easily know whether I have conformed my life to it. We know where we are saved if we obey God's commands. I don't know of any other way to determine our standing with God. Thank yeah. you, Anthony. I think that's right. Uh, that, that's that's an answer a lot of people have trouble with, but I think it's the only answer you can come to from the scriptures. You know, a lot of our denominational friends think that, that there's something flawed in that answer. But if, I, I'm like Anthony. How else would I know? Am I just going to trust a feeling, or am I going to am I am I going to am I going to compare myself to the standard that Jesus said is going to be used in judgment? Jeff, were you raising? Jeff was not raising his. Uh, right. You know, it, it's either. I mean. The opposite of that then would be, I know that I'm saved because I've not been obedient, yeah. or I know that I'm saved because I'm not trying to be pleased. I'm saved and there's not anything required. I know that I'm saved and there's absolutely zero conditions for me to meet in right. order to be saved. Well, then, as I said, I think the only person who can really take that view is the universalist. Okay. All right. In the we're getting behind in the chat room tonight. Uh, Jim says, "How can a person who believes that they are unworthy to be saved then turn around and say that they know they are saved because they feel it?" Well, that's interesting. That would seem to, would seem to be uh, contradictory. And Patrick says, "I think this question also necessitates a proper understanding of the virtue of hope. Hope is not some wishful, wistful hope. A wish. I hope I go to heaven. It's an understanding that, as Patrick would say, we're all unworthy if we were to be judged by our own merit." Thank you for those comments tonight. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Oh, so, hey, uh, John says, consider Paul's confidence in God's promise. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul had uh, assurance there by the way that he had lived. Uh, yeah, had we, we actually had a, a, I don't know if you remember it, Jacob, but we, we did a virtual Bible study on the assurance of yes, that we belongs to Christians. Yeah, I think we had. And uh, it's a tough question. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a real easy thing to deal with, you know, because, uh, you know, none of us deserve salvation. None of us can say, you know, I've, I've done everything exactly the way I should. Therefore, God must give me heaven. Uh, but on the other hand, and so while we're not to be uh, overconfident or, or uh, uh, complacent, on the other hand, I think God's word does suggest that he wants us to have hope and assurance. And so it's, it's a fine line, I think. All right. I agree with that. Did you find that program? Uh, I, didn't I didn't. Uh, is it confidence? Is it confidence. Yeah, can we be sure of our salvation? January 17th, or July 17th, 2008. But uh, you might not want to listen to that one because the sound quality was pretty poor. Oh, that's one of them. We had bad sound quality. Okay. All right. Uh, Patrick says we're all unworthy if we were to be judged by our own merit. Absolutely, exactly right. Okay, we've got to move quickly here. Four and five, and we, we'll, we'll take a break, and we're going to get back to number four and five. Uh, and then uh, that will take us to the end of the program. Uh, let's get a quick uh, break, get our thoughts together. Four and five, two more statements to go. These, I think, uh, will probably go pretty quick when we get back. Don't go anywhere. The Verse Bible Study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. 
A new poll shows that 60% of Americans say it's morally acceptable to have a baby outside of marriage. That's up from 45% in the year 2001. Those who believe it's morally acceptable for unmarried people to have sex now stands at 63%, up from 53% in 2001. That information is via Gallup poll. The Word of God says in Jeremiah 6, verse 15, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. Uh, scary statistics you had there. I only have one response to that, Second Corinthians six seventeen and 18. We've got to be separate from the world that we're in. Uh, we're talking about uh, grace on the program. Welcome back. A uh, couple, uh, three, actually, I couldn't count. Three more points to, to We're going to go quick. We're going to wrap this up. We've given this guy three weeks of our time trying to show that he has badly misrepresented at least what many of us believe uh, who are members of the Church of Christ. Number four. Number four, he says they believe. He says they believe us. The role of Christ and thus the atonement was merely for the purpose of displaying God's love for man and giving him a law to obey that would bring life. Christ is said to save by furnishing man an example. He simply showed man how to save himself. We don't believe it. I don't know anybody believes that. Uh, nobody. I, I, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Anthony says this is way out in left field. I've never heard of this teaching, and I don't know anyone anywhere who believes it. I don't either. And Aaron says, I'm no slacker when it comes to hearing people say odd things, but I've never heard any member of the church say anything like this. The role of Christ was to offer the sacrifice required for atonement. Romans 5, verse 9 says we are justified by his blood. He was the atoning sacrifice. He was the propitiation for our sins, First John 2, verse 2. All right. All right. I think we can dismiss that, that one pretty soft. quickly. Okay. All right. Now, number five, he says their theology may be either semi-Pelagian or Pelagian. I was trying to just figure out yeah. how that was to be pronounced. That may answer whether or not you hold to this guy's he says I He says that I believe in Pelagianism you can't or even Pelagianism. Say it. Well, there's two ways to say it. I was just doing a little research on that. I think the consensus made it's not quite spelled P E L A G I A N, uh, but I think the way most people say it is Pelagian. He says their theology may be either semi-Pelagian, that is salvation by works plus God's grace, or full Pelagian, God's grace and the righteousness of Christ may be nice to have, but are not necessary for salvation because no one can save himself. Because rather, because they are not necessary. Uh, because one can save himself by obedience. All right, so you either have salvation by works plus God's grace, you have God's grace and righteousness of Christ is nice, but not necessary. You don't necessary. really need it. Okay. So that's semi is you need grace plus your works. The full is you don't really need it at all. All right, here's, here's, the, here's, uh, here's a little bit of ancient church history. Pelagius. A uh, Roman ascetic who opposed the idea of predestination and asserted a strong version of the doctrine of free will. He was accused by Augustine of Hippo and others of denying the need for divine aid in performing good works. For him, at least as they represented him, the only grace necessary was the declara declaration of the law. Humans were not wounded by Adam's sin and were perfectly able to fulfill the law apart from any divine aid. He denied more specifically the doctrine of original sin as was developed by Augustine. Pelagius was declared a heretic by the Council of Carthage. His, his interpretation of the doctrine of free will became known as Pelagianism. Sounds like something might grow under a toenail. Uh, here's Pelagian. Uh, Wikipedia says Pelagianism is the belief that original sin did not taint human nature and that mortal will is still capable of choosing good or evil without special divine aid. The teaching of Pelagius are generally associated with the rejection of original sin and the rejection of infant baptism. Well, I, could I didn't, you know, I, 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 I guess I should be embarrassed to acknowledge that I never heard of this guy before. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I guess if I was up on church history, I should have known his name. Some of what he says I have to agree with, but not because he said it, because I think it's what the Bible teaches. But I, not, uh, not the idea that you don't need God, uh, God's help. Well, but I do think that, man, that, that mortal will is capable of choosing good or oh, yeah, evil sure. without divine aid. Yes, In other words, yes. I, don't need God, I don't need God to act upon me to make me capable of obeying him. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe that I do have a free will, and I can choose to obey him or not. Right. 
And I, if that's what this guy Pelagius taught, apparently it was, then you know, okay. But but we are not uh, we are not devoted to the to Pelagianism. Oh right, right. right. Either semi or full. Uh, and and I, I think, but I, I do I do believe. And you know, the, go, go back to that statement. Pelagianism is the belief that original sin did not taint human nature. Agreed. And that mortal will is still capable of choosing good or evil without special divine aid. Yeah. I think it yeah. is. Right. You know, if, if it took an act of God yes. to make me capable of choosing good or evil, then then you you you're putting God into the, the predetermination business. Oh, and and this the, this yeah. other article said he he was opposed to the idea of predestination. Yes, right. You know, if God acted on you, so you're you're right. you're obedient because He empowered you to be obedient. But He didn't empower me, right. and so I'm just out here. I'm just a, a wicked, immoral man because yeah. God didn't empower me to choose to do His will. Yeah. Well, that is that that would be woven in there to the concept of predestination, and we oppose that too. Right. I think that we can choose to do right. Let's see what our email. Well, says. Jim in the chat room says it seems anytime someone is declared a heretic by some council, he probably was closer <laughs> to the truth than they were. I think it's right. Jim. Uh, John says he was right on many of those things, and uh, Patrick says a semi Pelagianism, right, was condemned at the Ecumenical Council of Orange in 529. All right. Um, <clears throat> And uh, 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 Aaron says, "You you mean you've never been accused of being a Pelagian? I will bolster my credentials as no slacker when it comes to hearing people say odd things. When I say that I have been oh, thus he accused. has been thus accused. No. Oh, oh wow! But I had to go look him up too. <laughs> <laughs> well. That's that's saying something. It makes me feel a little bit better, Aaron. Um, let's see." Uh, Aaron in his email to us said, I wouldn't say that my theology fits either of those descriptions. As I said above, salvation is by grace. But God establishes some conditions for us to demonstrate faith, and he uses those conditions to decide who will be recipients of that grace. Grace is available to all men, Titus 2, 11, 12. But it teaches us that we need to do some things, and those things are the reason that grace is universally available but not universally applied. I like that statement. Grace is universally available but not universally applied. Neither of these accurately describes the Bible's teaching on grace, works, or salvation. This is Anthony, yeah. We must obey God's commands to be saved by his grace. Obeying commands does not constitute works. The idea of works that do not save us is that of the meritorious works or good deeds. This is clearly what is under consideration in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, not the obedient and submissive, I might add, act of baptism. Thank you, Anthony. All right. Uh, And Patrick says it's okay, Aaron. We all have to go look things up. And then he goes on to say, I was told a long time ago, the next best thing to know is knowing where to find out. Amen to that. Yeah, we have to. I mean, there's nothing wrong with us saying, I don't know. I, I, never, I never even heard of that before. No. But I can find out. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. And so. Yep. Uh, yep. Nobody's, uh, nobody knows everything. And uh, we shouldn't be afraid to say that we. All right. Let's go quickly. we got just a few minutes left. And we, we're going to wrap this up uh, here. Number six. The last part of this man's essay. Actually, Jacob, if you go to that website, we have picked out this part of his essay, a doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ. But he's got a lot more to say there, you know, and we think he's but we thought this was pretty descriptive of how he has misunderstood and misrepresented the position of many Christians. And so we wanted to comment. I don't know this guy's name who wrote the blog. He doesn't identify himself, but I did think, and it was suggested it would be a good thing to do, is to send him an email and link him to these three okay. discussions and see if that. he'd care yeah. to talk about it further. All right, that'd be So great. we'll try to do that. Okay, good. Number All six. Right. Number six. He said, despite their emphasis on patternism, works of righteousness, the law of Christ, and their view of grace that is similar to pseudo-Christian cults, <laughs> they deny that they are legalists. <laughs> Well, right. we talked that now this this goes back and gathers up a whole bunch of things that were in this essay that we've talked about in the last over the last three weeks. One thing is about patternism, you know, and, and of course you, you've got to understand each of those things that he that he indicates there is in is in the context of these are bad things about these people. These these people believe in patternism. They believe in works of righteousness. They believe in the law of Christ. They they have a uh, an unusual view of grace. They're like cults, but they're not. They claim they're not legalists. Well, when we were talking about patternism, you know, 
we believe that God is a God of patterns, always yes. has been. Yes. When we were discussing that, we made reference to Hebrews 8, verse 5, where God told Moses, um, when Moses was about to make the tabernacle, he said, see that thou make all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mount. God has always requested people to do as he instructed, to follow the pattern that he set forth. So, yeah, we believe there's a pattern to be followed. Uh, and it goes, yeah, it goes uh, in the New Testament as well, that God is ex- expects the pattern to be followed. Um, and so uh, we have to, we would have to say that we have to follow a pattern. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but now works of righteousness, if, if he's representing us to believe that we are saved, that we save ourselves by works of righteousness, and we, we don't believe that. We've tried to explain that works are conditions of salvation, but they, are, they, they don't earn us salvation. Uh, we believe what Paul wrote to Titus 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So we don't save ourselves with works of righteousness, but that's not to say that there aren't works of righteousness to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And then the law of Christ. You know, there was a section in the, that we talked about in his essay where he he was shocked that we refer to the law of Christ. We pointed out in the New Testament it uses that kind of terminology. For instance, in Galatians chapter six, verse two, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's called the law of Christ. We don't we're not backing away from that. We just we have this view of grace, he says, that's like pseudo-Christian cults. He mentions Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, you know, I, I got to tell you the truth. I've talked to the Mormons a lot, and I've studied a lot with Jehovah's Witnesses. I I am not up thoroughly up on what they teach about grace. I don't know that. Yeah. I mean, I've, I think we've got a lot of differences with them. And uh, I, I don't know what they teach about grace, so I don't know whether and, they and teach the same thing. He says we that, deny that we're legalist. Well. We didn't necessarily deny that, and a couple of our respondents said that they don't necessarily deny it either. And then he said, I do not deny that I'm a legalist. I recently read that the Hunter Hill Hunter Hills, and he puts in parentheses, Church of Christ in Alabama, which can be seen from I-65, put up to a vote the idea of adding instrumental music. In their justification, they stated, Hunter Hills has become a church that, which believes in freedom in Christ and has moved away from legalism. And then he says, put in those terms, then sign me up as a legalist. And uh, Aaron says... I've never met anybody who could give me a good definition of what a legalist is, and that's a necessary first step in deciding whether I am one or not. If it is legalistic to say that in order to love God, one must keep his commandments, or that a disobedient person does not know God, then I am a legalist. But so was the Apostle John, and he references 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. Without a definition, I can't say any more. I think that's right. And that's interesting because as, as, often, you know, as, heard, as often as you hear the term legalist, you would think that it is condemned over and over in the New Testament. Yeah, we talked about this last week. Now, you got as, as Aaron exactly says, you've got to define your terms. If you mean by legalist that we're out here setting up our own set of rules and demanding people obey our contrived rules, if that's what you mean by legalism, then that's wrong and we're against it. If what you mean by legalism is that we teach that we should do what the Bible says to do in the way the Bible says to do it. If that's what you mean by legalist, I'm not ashamed to, to wear the title. Yeah. But you got to define your terms. All right. Patrick says legalism is the accusation anytime someone claims that God expects human beings to obey some commandment. A legalist is someone who believes God demands something that the accuser of legalism believes God does not demand. I think it's right. I yeah. think it is. Uh, they're trying to, they're tr- it, it's a smear. They're trying yeah. to, it, it's a word used as a, as a, uh, to to denigrate the person yeah. that's applied to. That's right. Okay. All right. Um, you know this idea that we teach a, a, a point of uh, we our definition of grace is similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. Well, you know, just because and again, as I said, I don't know whether we do or not. I really I've talked to them about a lot of things, but I don't think I've ever talked to them about their view of grace. But if they teach what the Bible teaches about grace, and we teach what the Bible teaches about grace. Then that's not a bad thing, no. you know. But it doesn't make make us the same as them, yeah. you know. In James chapter two, uh, in James chapter two, verse nineteen, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble, you know. So him saying we're like the we're like no. the, the <laughs> they believe in God, which the devil demons also. Uh, yeah, does that make us a bad person? Yeah. You know, I, Incidental, I incidentally, the demons also believe in God. Yeah, just throw that in on the side. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Anyway, well, our time is up, Jacob. All right. I, I hope it's been a worthy study. As we said, I think what we'll do is we'll send an email to this bloggist, uh, link him to our discussion of his of his document, and then maybe see if he contacts us back and would like to talk about it further. All right. Jeff, thanks for coming tonight. On your, Jeff's been home Jeff, from school. Jeff's heading Jeff's back. Heading back. Uh, Jeff, we'll look for you in the chat room. We won't look yeah, you for yeah, you in this yeah. room next, uh, next be, week. Be tuned in, Jeff. We'll be watching for you. All right. And, uh, Dad, thank you for a good discussion tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks to everyone in the chat room for joining in in the discussion, our emailers as well. Thank you for being a part of the program. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word, and we hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.